Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. everybody, and welcome to our podcast for today. We say that the uh, podcast that we have here, the Robert J. Morgan podcast, is devoted to Bible exposition and teaching, and to the preservation and appreciation of hymnody and of church history. And those are three uh, things that I feel very zealous about, and sometimes we just like to take a break and talk about something that occurred in Christian history. And so today, I'm going to take a one-week break from our Philippian series and share with you uh, this character, Josephus, as we have him in the writings of Dr. Paul Meyer. Now, let me tell you something about Dr. Meyer. His name is spelled M-A-I-E-R, M-A-I-E-R, Dr. Paul Meyer. He's up in age now, but he's been a brilliant scholar and made a lot of contributions Uh, to evangelical scholarship, and also to our understanding of biblical times. He is the former Russell H. Seibert Professor of Ancient History at Western Michigan University. And he's also a novelist. He has written some interesting Christian novels. I have one of them in my to-be-read stack right now, The Flames of Rome, which is written to give us a sense of what first century Rome was like in the days of Christ and in the days of the apostles. But it is his scholarly nonfiction works which I really enjoy. And there are two books that have been very meaningful to me uh, because he has given us new translations uh, and new commentaries on them. And one that I'm not going to deal with today, but I will at a later time, is his translation of the church historian Eusebius. Eusebius was the first great historian of which we have uh, good records, his history of the early church from the apostles through to about the year 300 has come down to us. It fills in a lot of gaps. Uh, Not everything that Eusebius wrote is absolutely true. He's not infallible like the Scripture, but he was the bishop of Caesarea along the Israeli coast um, or the coast of Canaan, uh, in New Testament, uh, not in New Testament, but in post-New Testament times. And he was familiar with those who had written the histories of the church before him, whose records we may not have right now. And so uh, Eusebius just has given us a lot of fascinating information about the first 300 years of the history of Christianity. And Dr. Meyer's uh, translation and commentary of Eusebius is among my very favorite books. There is also a book uh, that came out some years ago by Dr. Meyer, but I have an edition right now. It looks like it just uh, came off the press from Kriegel Publications, and it does the same thing with Josephus. Now, my Uncle Walter was a great student of the Bible, 
and he was an old man even when I was a, a child, but I remember that he had copies of Eusebius and said that every Christian ought to read Eusebius alongside his or her Bible. And that was uh, a very common thought back then because uh, Josephus, uh, is who I mean to say, Josephus uh, wrote during the days of the apostles. He lived in the first century. He was a Jewish um, man who wrote history at the same time that Paul was creating history. And so his writings are very interesting, but very long and rather the laborious to read. So Dr. Meyer has uh, done a tremendous favor to us in giving us the essential works of Josephus, condensed and newly translated, so that it reads, well, it almost reads like a novel. Um, and it, he gives us a, a condensation of the two major works of Josephus, Jewish Antiquities, which tells the story of the Jewish people uh, up until uh, the Roman era, and then the Jewish War that tells the story of uh, the Jewish people during the days of Rome and the destruction of Jerusalem and Judea by Roman forces in the first century. And all of this is very interesting uh, and I want to read from the introduction. So I'm going to be reading to you some from Dr. Meyer's book, but this is what he says in the introduction. Apart from the Bible itself, Flavius Josephus is by far the most important historical source illuminating the entire biblical era. And for some New Testament personalities, he is an even more comprehensive source in terms of sheer quantity of data Josephus provides probably 300 times as much information about Herod the Great as does the Gospel of Matthew, for example, or 10 times as much as Pontius Pilate. He also furnishes fascinating perspectives on such other biblical figures as Archelaus, Herod Antipas, the two Agrippas, Bernice, Felix, and Festus, as well as intriguing insights on John the Baptist, Jesus' half-brother James, and Jesus himself. It's also, and this is me again, it's also Josephus who gives us in his Antiquities of the Jews the story of what happened to the Jewish people between Malachi and Matthew. He tells us about this intertestamental period or this uh, second temple period, and that is information that we really don't get in the Bible itself. Josephus is our primary source. And reading again from Dr. Meyer, Josephus was born in Jerusalem only four years after the crucifixion of Jesus, and he wrote about the time when the Gospels were composed. Um, and Dr. Meyer says what Mike Walter said, this book used to stand next to the Bible. But if you read all of Josephus word for word, it occupies nearly a dozen volumes uh, with um, about 80,000 uh, lines. And so by condensing this for us without omitting any of the material that is especially important to us lay students of the Bible, he says this condensation is an attempt to offer Josephus's two great historical works as a chronological and literary whole, as well as a digestible unit. And then Dr. Meyer provides us with a summary of the life of Josephus. He was born 
in 37, the year 37, the son of a priest and a mother who descended from royal Jewish blood. About age 14, he began to be precocious. People recognized he was a great student. Uh, as a teenager, he went out into the desert. He studied with the Essenes some, uh, about 19. He returned to Jerusalem. He joined the sect of the Pharisees. And then things were heating up between Israel and Rome in a way that was uh, leading towards absolute disaster. And Josephus, being a Jew in Judea, was appointed commander of the Jewish forces in Galilee. But I'll not tell you the whole story. He emerged um, from uh, all of that to become a client of Vespasian, the general who would become the emperor of the Roman Empire. And for the rest of his life, he was a client or uh, a subject of Vespasian. And he took the family name Flavius as his own. And he served in Rome as, uh, as a writer, as a historian, writing down uh, as long as he lived, he continued to write the story of the Jewish people and the Jewish war. In fact, Vespasian gave him a mansion to live with and conferred upon him uh, citizenship, and he lived um, in um, comfortable means, shall we say, uh, as long as he lived. So he was a Jewish man who became an Essene as a teenager, became a Pharisee as a young adult, and then was uh, made commander of, of Jewish forces, but ended he ended up deserting to the Romans and uh, was taken in by the Roman emperor Vespasian and his son Titus and, um, and became the historian of the Jewish people uh, who lived in Rome. His earliest work is the Jewish War, uh, which told the story of the campaign against Israel. And then afterwards, he wrote the Jewish Antiquities, but because of the chronological uh, logic of it, uh, Dr. Meyer gives us the antiquities first. So we have the story of the Jewish people beginning at the creation and going all the way up to the Jewish war. And then he gives us the Jewish wars condensed and newly translated. So we have the story of the tragic last days of Israel at the hands of Rome. So that is um, uh, a summary of the introduction. Uh, in the actual writings of uh, Josephus as translated by Dr. Meyer, he said, quote, this is Josephus speaking, this narrative, uh, the antiquities of the Jews, will cover our entire ancient history, the origin of the Jews, the fortunes that overtook them, the great lawgiver who taught them piety and virtue, and all of their wars through long ages before the final conflict with Rome. He said the principal lesson in these pages is this, those who conform to God's will will prosper and will be happy, but those who depart from his laws will end in disaster. That's the theme of his writings. So he begins in chapter 1 of the Antiquities of the Jews by saying, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And what Josephus does is to work through the Old Testament, giving us the history that we find there, but as it was being taught by the rabbis and the historians of the Second Temple period. And so it isn't strictly just taken from the pages of the Hebrew or, uh, or the Aramaic Bible. 
It is taken, actually, from the teachings of the historians that were concurrent with his time, and it adds something to what they thought actually took place in the times of the Bible. It's very interesting uh, when you come to um, Noah and his flood, for example, that Josephus, referring back to what the rabbis were saying about Genesis chapter 6, said, For seven generations these people continued believing in God as master of the universe, but then they fell into vice and depravity. Some, born of angels who had consorted with women, resembled the audacious giants of Greek mythology. Noah urged them to mend their ways, but he feared they would murder him. So he left the country, taking his entire family. God therefore decided to destroy mankind and to create another race exempt from vice and to reduce their life term to 120 years. Well, to me, this is very interesting. Uh, The Bible doesn't exactly say that, but this is the way the story was being taught by the Jewish historians and rabbis of his own day. Uh, He goes on to talk about the Tower of Babel and says Nimrod set up a, a tyranny and began building a tower higher than any water could reach in case God ever wanted to flood the earth again. Now, I'd never thought about that before with the Tower of Babel. Again, the Bible doesn't exactly tell us that, but it says that they built a tower they wanted to reach up to heaven. But the historians of the New Testament era that Josephus uh, was drawing from said that they were seeking to build a tower so high that if God ever flooded the world again, they would be able to escape that flood. It's just a very interesting perspective uh, on the Old Testament. Now, one of the things I've sometimes wondered about is the story of Jacob. How could Jacob, who'd worked seven years for Rachel on his wedding night, go to bed with the wrong woman? He slept with Leah instead of Rachel. Leah was Rachel's sister. How could a man make that mistake? Even if he was in a dark tent on a moonless night, How could you mistake one woman for another, her voice and her personality and everything? Well, I've often wondered that. Josephus, here's the sentence in his book about this. Jacob, deluded by wine and the darkness of his bedroom, had union with Leah, thinking that she was Rachel. And that makes perfect sense. They had had a wedding, and Jacob had drunk a lot of wine, And it was uh, his being deluded by wine and by the darkness that caused him to make that mistake. Uh, We don't know that's true. That's not in the Bible, but it does. It's plausible. And again, this tells us what was being taught, uh, what Jesus would have heard as the rabbis taught him Jewish history. Uh, We also have a very interesting story about Moses. It says, in Josephus, when Moses had grown to be a man, war broke out between Egypt and their neighbors, the Ethiopians. And so it talks about how Moses was brought out of the palace and commissioned and went out leading a great army and surprised the enemy before they knew he was coming. I'm quoting now from 
uh, Mayer's uh, translation of Josephus. They expected that he would attack them by water since the interior was difficult to traverse due to the vast number of poisonous snakes that infested it. But Moses devised a marvelous strategy. He took baskets full of ebuses, a bird that devours serpents and is their greatest enemy. And as soon as he had reached the infected region, he released the ebuses and drove the serpents away. Moses then achieved his march and defeated the Ethiopians in a surprise attack. So historians believe that before Moses, at age 40, fled from Egypt, he was, in fact, a military leader in the Egyptian army. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from other places from here in Josephus. So as we read through the writings of Josephus, and again, Dr. Meyer's translation uh, and condensation is very easy to read, then uh, we begin to get insights into what the apostles, what Jesus, what first century uh, Jewish people would have been taught in the schools about the Old Testament historical stories. Uh, and then he goes on after uh, the days of the Old Testament to describe Alexander and the Maccabees uh, who rebelled against Rome and the rise of Rome. And he tells us a great deal, as we said earlier, about Herod the Great. And I want to turn over in this book to page 269. We don't have time for me to uh, deal with a whole lot, but this is a very important passage. On two, page 269, this comes from uh, uh, Josephus, and this has been generally and in a widespread way accepted by scholars as authentic with Josephus. So this is in the first century. He talks a great deal about Pontius Pilate, describes him, gives us information that we don't have about uh, the Roman procurator in the Bible. And then this is what he says from Josephus. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah, concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders, and the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. Well, that is a first-century testimony as to the existence and reputation of Jesus Christ. It is extra-biblical, it is uh, historically accurate, and it has been endorsed by most historians. It's very difficult because of Josephus, as well as other things, for anyone to deny the um, uh, existence in history of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I want to go over to page 380, 358, because in the Jewish wars, Josephus goes on to talk about what happened to the Jewish people in the terrible days after the resurrection of Christ, after the establishing of the church as the decades went by, uh, and as Rome came and destroyed them in the year 70. This is one of the most horrible things you'll ever read. In fact, chapter 25 
uh, of this translation of Josephus, uh, the Antiquities of the, uh, the, the Jewish Wars, is called Horrors at Jerusalem. And Josephus wrote, The sufferings of the Jewish people were so fearful they can hardly be told, and no other city has endured such miseries. And he says this about the people of Jerusalem as the Roman armies under Vespasian and then under Titus as they surround Jerusalem. This is Josephus now. All hope of escape and all food supplies were now cut off from the Jews and famine devoured thousands upon thousands. The alleys were choked with bodies and survivors not having enough strength to bury the dead and even falling into the graves with them. No mourning was heard in Jerusalem, for famine stifled all emotions, and an awful silence shrouded the city. And he tells in great detail here, almost day by day, what was happening to the Jewish people at this time and how terrible it was. He says uh, a little bit later, uh, as he actually describes the destruction of Jerusalem, pouring into the streets of the upper city after uh, the Romans had breached uh, the walls and, and entered in. They massacred everyone they could find, burning the houses with all who had taken shelter in them. So great was the slaughter that in many places the flames were put out by streams of blood. Toward evening the butchery ceased, but all night the fire spread, and when dawn broke, all of Jerusalem was in flames." Well, I can visualize this a little bit because in my visits to Jerusalem, there is an area that you can visit called the Burnt House, just to the west of the Temple Mount and the Wailing Wall. That was the great affluent residential section of Jerusalem. I tend to think that's actually where the Lord's Supper took place, uh, the Last Supper, in a home in, in the affluent section of Jerusalem. And all of this was burned by the Romans, and then as time went by, it was covered up with layer after layer after layer as Jerusalem was destroyed and rebuilt itself and was destroyed and rebuilt itself. But archaeologists now have dug underneath the surface down to these beautiful homes that were burned by the Romans. And some of the rooms, you can still see the mosaics, and you can see the street plan and the level. And you can, it's like stepping back into the days of Josephus and visiting uh, these places. Incidentally, if you're interested in visiting the Holy Land, uh, I lead tours every um, June, uh, Lord willing. We're going again this coming June. And if you'd like information, you can go to my website, to the events tab, and scroll down until you find the Holy Land trip. And I would be glad to answer any questions or get you information about it. But the story of the destruction of Jerusalem is one of the most anguishing stories in all of history, and Josephus was there. In fact, he was outside the walls begging the Jewish zealots inside to surrender. And he talks about how his mother was inside the wall and how his father was inside the wall and how desperate he was, but Jerusalem was destroyed, and nobody thought that there would ever be a nation of Israel again. The Jewish people were deported. The temple was burned down. Nothing was left until 1948, when, with the Zionist movement, 
the nation of Israel came back into existence again. Well, that's a subject for another podcast. But this podcast is simply to introduce you to Josephus, the essential works, the antiquities of the Jews, and the Jewish war, his two great volumes, condensed and readable. And it parallels exactly the times of Scripture and this translation and condensation done a few years ago by Paul Meyer, M-A-I-E-R, is well worth reading. Uh, I took it on vacation, and I could hardly get my nose out of it at the beach. Um, And I just underlined it. It gave me so much insight into the background of the times of both the Old and New Testaments. So check it out. Eusebius, The Church History, a new translation by Paul Meyer, and Josephus, The Essential Works, a new translation and condensation by Paul Meyer. And I think that you will appreciate and deepen your understanding of biblical and post-biblical times by these very readable works of this great scholar, Dr. Paul Meyer. Well, this has been a different kind of podcast. Next week, we'll return to our study of Philippians, but I hope this has been helpful to you, and I appreciate your joining us. Please share this with somebody else. And for all of our other resources, including uh, my books and this trip to Israel that I mentioned, go to my website, robertjmorgan.com. You can also follow along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. The engineering is done by Jared Brummett. Music is by Elijah Rowe. And blog posting is by Luke Tyler. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And may God be with you until we meet again.